When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Dave, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, My guest in this episode uh, is uh, someone that we've very much come to adopt as as one of our own. Uh, He's a basketball champion and has uh, more recently been recognised for his incredible work uh, outside of sport, which we'll hear more about uh, in a moment. He comes to us originally uh, from Texas in the United States, Ricky Ray Grace, as he was... Known back then, of course, uh, we renamed him as Ricky Amazing Grace. So, Ricky, hello and welcome. Thank you. I, the only time I get called Ricky Ray is when I'm in trouble by my mom. So, <laughs> please don't do that. I just had flashbacks. I had flashbacks. Hopefully that's not too often. Not anymore. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Amazing has stuck, though. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's a nice play on words, but you did some pretty amazing things on court as well, didn't you? Oh, I've had an amazing career. Yeah. Um, I came to an amazing team, to an amazing city, to some amazing fans, and it's been an amazing experience for me. Mm. Uh, Thirty years now. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it it's gone quick, but it has been an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah. Um, Perth obviously is uh, is well, it's your home now. As you say, you've you, you've been here longer than you haven't. Mm. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. No, Perth is home. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's my second home. Um, you know, I'm still. My family uh, still back in Dallas, uh, still very much entrenched there as well. But um, I consider myself very much Australian and even more Western Australian. Yeah. Uh, which kind of goes in the same mindset as the people from Texas. You yeah. Know, people from Texas. I mean, not only, you know, people from Texas feel like we could run our own country just like Western Australia. <laughs> feel like, you know, we can run our own country as well. So. I fit in with the mindset really good coming from uh, yeah, Texas to Western. Yeah, absolutely. Bring a bit of that here. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we indulge the idea every now and then. Um, but look, let's go through some of your your achievements mm-hmm. on the basketball court. Um, firstly, with the Wildcats, uh, it was Cal Bruton, wasn't it, who who got you out here? Sure was. Uh, just a, an absolute champion, a legend of of WA sport. Um, tell us about the the phone call or the contact, or whatever it mm-hmm. was. That, uh, that you got from Cal that led to you coming here to Perth? Well, you want to hear my version or Cal's version? <laughs> um, my version, uh, well, his is better, and he okay. actually has a book. Give us so his then. <laughs> if, you want to read, if you want to read his book, well, then you can hear Cal's version. But I was basically, um, I had just gotten the sack by an NBA team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They were an expansion team at the time. Uh, the year before, I was drafted by the Utah Jazz. Mm. Um, in, in, in 1989, uh, sorry, 88, um, uh, uh, 
didn't didn't make the Utah Jazz team. One of those. You you were in the squad though, weren't you? But uh, or in their in their their camp, their setup. I was definitely in so camp. You're, you're I was the last. The you know, I mean, people say this so much in America till I stop saying it. But I was the last cut. Yep. Uh, by the Utah Jazz before the season started, I was flying out to go home, and the Washington Bullets were flying in to play the Utah Jazz, their first NBA game. And they had yeah. big smiles on their faces, and I was quite the opposite. Mm. But um, uh, went back home, then finished my degree. Went back to University of Oklahoma, finished my degree, which uh, was uh, in political science, a bachelor's degree in political science. Went back, did that. Kept myself in shape and tried out for the Minnesota Timberwolves the following year. Got the sack again. Uh, was playing in the uh, uh, what's called the CBA, which is sort of like the waffle, uh, which is the league under the NBA. Um, yep. I was playing for that at the time. And in the CBA in America, there's some really small, I almost said crappy towns, but some really small, you know, coming from Dallas, you know, yeah. it was, I guess, an adjustment living in yep. those really, really small places. I didn't enjoy it. And I was presented with an opportunity to try out, uh, try out for a professional job in Australia. Mm. And uh, so an agent presented me with that opportunity. They flew me to another small place in Iowa somewhere. And um, I see this little bald man um, uh, named Cal Bruton there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Cal was just retiring. And I didn't know anything about Australia back then. There yeah. wasn't Internet. And uh, and I didn't have time to check my mom's encyclopedia. <laughs> so um, so I just knew that Perth was somewhere in Australia near Austria, I thought. Yeah, yeah. That's just a typo. It's yeah. Austria, surely. Yeah, exactly, because, you know, the Americans aren't that great in geography. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I went and played Cal a game of one-on-one. So Cal said, okay. Yeah, let's play one see on what one. You got. See what you got. So, because yeah. he was still pretty sharp then. Oh, yeah. just, just coming off retirement. Mm. Just you know, three weeks after he played his last game. So, um, uh, he you know throws me the ball and says, "Let's play some one on one." He hired out a little rec center, and it was just us in the rec center and um, and my agent. Yeah. So, we play one on one, and you know, I'm 23, young whippersnapper, and here's this 37, 38 year old guy you know, with a cul-de-sac on top of his head, and, you know, and I'm going, who is this, you know, fella? You know, I wanted to play, you know, one-on-one. So before you know it, Cal's winning 3-0. Right. Three three buckets. Were you know. going easy on him? Well, you know, I just, you know. <laughs> you want to stitch up the old man? Exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to say it. You said that. but yeah. um, And I was thinking it. So, um so my agent called timeout, and I've never had a timeout called in a one-on-one game. And he said, "Do so you realize you're playing for a damn job?" And I went, "Oh, you're right. You know, yeah. 23 still. Yeah, okay. That's what well, I better, you know, yeah. you know, I better lift the sense of urgency a little bit." So th- now this is where the controversy starts between right. myself okay. and Cal. Yep, yep. <laughs> he was up three nil. I beat him 11 eleven three, eleven nil, 11-1. and I got right. the job. Yep. Now, Cal reckons he won a game somewhere in between there, and I don't <laughs> remember. But anyway, it was good enough for him to offer me a contract to come to Perth, and next thing you know, there I was in Perth in January 1990. There you go. And did you get a chance to go and check your mum's encyclopedias to see what this Australia place was all about? Not at all. Not no? at all. Not at all. I so, actually, so what were you told about Perth and Australia before you jumped on a plane? I just told. I was told that the weather is beautiful in Perth. Uh, there's great beaches. We did not interests me because I can't swim at all and not really interested in the beach. But um, 
And so I just thought I would come here for a, a two-year holiday, mm-hmm. you know, work on my skills, and then end up back in America. I remember arriving in Sydney, and my flight departed Sydney at 11 a.m., and it arrived Perth at 12 noon. <laughs> and I was on the flight for two hours, and I was yeah. thinking, gee, I know I've been on this yeah. plane for more than an hour. We should be landing by now. Even the time's different here. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I asked the flight attendant, you know, why is it taking us so long? She said, we got another two and a half hours to go. They're three hours behind. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so we're traveling that far. Okay. Yeah. So, and ended up in Perth. I had no idea where I was going. Yeah. And and just you, or did your agent come with you then? or it, Just me. Just you? Just, just me. You? Just me. What was um, the first thing you did? When you jumped off the plane, I'm, I'm guessing Cal was there to greet you. I hope he was. Cal was there to greet me. He uh, greeted me with a, uh, it was 1990, and I had about a 1979 Ford Falcon waiting on me at the airport. Classic. No air condition, no power steering, <laughs> uh, and the steering wheel was on the wrong side of the car. <laughs> yeah. So he's telling me to follow him from the airport to the Hilton, and I ha- I've never had more bad fingers pointed to me for <laughs> pulling out in front of people. I was looking the wrong sides, you know, because I'm used to looking left before I go and you're supposed to look right. So it was, you know, thank, thankfully I made it uh, to the Hilton and I didn't drive that car for probably another month or two. <laughs> well, firstly, how's your driving going? Oh, driving's good. good. Driving's yeah. good, thanks. And have you learned how to swim? No. You still don't swim? I still do not know how to swim. So do you go to the beach here at all? No. No? No. I do not go to the beach. We've got to get you in the pool. Yeah, well, my tan is fine, so I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. I don't want to gloss over what was an extraordinary career at the Wildcats, but, I mean, you know, recently the argument came up when people were, you know, were obviously celebrating another, another Wildcats title and talking about, uh, you know, the greatest uh, Wildcat of all time. And, 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 you know, Bryce Cotton, of course, has just been unbelievable mm. in recent years, but still mm. people are going... He's not the best. Ricky's the best. Um, how, how does that sit with you when you hear those conversations well, uh, taking place? It's been going for a while now. I mm. mean, uh, with Bryce being as great as he is, um, I think you can only be the best of your era. Mm. Uh, and I think I was, you know, arguably one of the best, if not the best of my yep. era. Uh, the game's different now. Bryce's game is different from mine. The only similarity is that I think he's the best of his era. Yeah. So I think, you know, I've enjoyed the conversation for a season. Uh, probably getting a bit of long in the tooth in that conversation. <laughs> so probably next season I'll, I'll probably just stop answering that and just let Bryce have a great career yep. and just admire him for his greatness and mm. just let him continue to be the best of his era. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, just um, uh, I enjoy seeing the Wildcats do well. Yeah. I I enjoy watching Bryce. Uh, he is an absolute fantastic player. When I watch him, I think, you know, sometimes how would I go against him because you hear it so much. So you start scouting him and thinking, okay, how would I play him? What can I – and I'm still figuring out what I would do because he's amazing. You know, yeah. he, he can he can do so many things uh, mm. that can that can help a team. He can score. Yeah. He, can, he, can, he, can, he can drive to the bucket. He's uh, a better uh, defender than he gets credit for. He's an amazing team player. Uh, you know, he just ticks every box. Yep. So I think we should just enjoy his greatness yep. and just uh, stop comparing. And just stop comparing and just mm. let this man be great. Yeah. I suppose one thing you have got over, it's, it's an indisputable fact, is, you know, you were there for a long, long time. 16 you know, 16 years. 16 seasons, 16 years. So, um, 
A lot to cover. We'll get into that after the break. We need to take a break. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR uh, with Ricky Grace. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are featuring the story of Ricky Grace, Wildcats champion, and so many other things which we'll get to uh, in time. But, uh, Ricky, 16 years at the Wildcats. It's an incredible career. I'll just go through some of the stats here because uh, I don't want to miss any out. But six grand finals appearances, four championships, uh, twice awarded the grand final uh, MVP. Uh, the list goes on and on. You know, you're a captain, of course, uh, as well for part of that time. Uh, for you, though, are there any memories or achievements uh, across that 16 years that really stand out for you? Probably the first one. Yep. Um, 1990 being the first National League team in Western Australia to win a national premiership. Um, at that time, it was only the Wildcats and Eagles mm. uh, playing and uh, winning in Brisbane uh, at the airport. They couldn't fit the trophy on the plane. So it's Kerry, a big trophy. Isn't it? Big trophy. So <laughs> Kerry Stokes bought a first-class seat for yeah. the trophy so it could fly back with us. Arriving at the airport, and there's five, 7,000 people at yeah. the airport um, yeah. at, you know, 10.30 p.m. at night, you yeah. know, to welcome us back home was uh, – and and then the parade, uh, you know, was just huge. Uh, it was just a, a great – I think win for just to seeing the relief on all those players. Uh, mm. It was my first year, but Mike Ellis had paid his dues. James Crawford had paid his dues. Um, just the whole team, Trevor mm. Torrance, Eric Watterson, Steve Davis, you know, mm. all, all those guys had, you know, paid those, their dues. And, and a lot of people didn't know at the beginning of that year, Kerry Stokes, who was the owner had given us an ultimatum. And he said, you either win this year or either we're going to, you know, go at this a different way because the Wildcats had come so close in 1987 uh, when Cal came and brought James and Tiny yep. with him, and that's when they were running and stunning and having some fun and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff <laughs> and, and, you know, backboards being broken, and that's when 87 is when basketball came alive. The Wildcats actually been here since 1982. Yeah. But a lot of people think they started in 87 because that's when the Superdrome was built and then mm. they moved from Perry Lakes to the Superdrome. And basketball really took off in '87. But, oh, when, but I remember it was it was so big. It was primetime TV, packed stadiums. It was huge. Yeah, yeah. And when I got here in '90, it was the first year that we moved into the Perth Entertainment Center. So we were then packing the Entertainment Center. But it was those that nucleus. It was their fourth year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so so Carrie sort of gave us a little heads up at the beginning of the year that you know. If, I was like, Carrie, this is my first year, not yeah. my fourth. Do I get four years like these boys? <laughs> not necessarily. So, But just to win that championship and see yeah. the monkey lifted off all those guys yeah. back and see so many mm. grown men cry from happiness uh, is something I'll never forget. But I uh, can't forget about the Olympics. Uh, yeah. Representing Australia in the 2000 Olympics for me yeah. was uh, the pinnacle of my mm. career. Um, it was right up there, if not bigger than any championship yeah. uh, that – that uh, we won just to represent Australia, to be 
I guess, accepted by a country that I loved and to feel loved um, was an amazing experience in Sydney for those two weeks. Was that a surprise to you that you ended up in that in that team? Because I know you were surprisingly overlooked for the Atlanta games. It was in '96. Yeah, I wasn't really overlooked. Um, I was chosen. Yeah, I was chosen for the 1996 Olympics. Um, but that was when Luke Longley had signed a big contract with the Phoenix Suns. And uh, for professional reasons, Luke uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't able to play for Australia in 1996. And uh, when Luke informed Basketball Australia that he wasn't going to be able to play, well, then they decided they needed another big man. Yeah. The rule is you can only have one non-born Australian on your team. Right. It stops the, uh, you know, uh, soccer team from bringing in 12, yeah. you know. Brazilians. Brazilians <laughs> to, to represent Australia. So, basically, you can only have one unborn player on your team. So, yep. they thought, well, we probably need another big man now. Yeah. So, they um, rang me up about three, four weeks before the Olympics started uh, and said, Ricky, uh, you want the good news or the bad news? I said, the good news. And they said, there is none. <laughs> so <laughs> the bad news is you're not on the team. Well, they didn't really put it like that. I'm kidding. But um, so Barry Barnes rang me, gave me the bad news. And uh, this 1996, and I'd already booked a, a house for my mom because I'm really close to my mom. Yeah. Um, I'd already booked a house in Atlanta for her. So it was really disappointing. And, mm. and I probably didn't take it as well as I should have because I told the coach where he could go mm-hmm. uh, because I had just spent four years of my life preparing for this. I gave up my Christmases, my New Year's, traveling around with the Australian team. Uh, and uh, I told him, you know, where pretty much what I thought about the whole situation. Mm. How did that go down? Well, then I hung up the phone. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> don't know. Well, but four years later, You're four weeks before the Olympics, I get a phone call from this coach. Ricky, don't hang up. Uh, just wondering if you're interested in playing in 2000. I said, Coach, I take back everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a highlight to be acknowledged. Yeah. In 2000, I was playing great ball, um, yeah. was MVP of the grand final in a losing cause, uh, which had never been done before or since. So, you know, I was playing pretty good ball. Mm. Well, actually, sorry, that's in 93 that happened. But in 2000, you know, we won the grand final. Mm. So I was playing great ball there and uh, was chosen to to represent Australia. Yeah. And players that you came up against, I can imagine at the Olympics, you, you know, mm. some absolute superstars. But who, who are the players that stand out for you? Firstly, that you were teammates with, and then I'll ask you about yeah. some of the incredible opponents that you faced off against. Well, I had Luke Longley on that 2000 team. Mm. Uh, was just great. I mean, his basketball IQ was just off the charts, you know, Obviously, playing with Michael Jordan and winning Helps championship that he's 10 with feet those tall guys. As well. well, he's a big, <laughs> he's big, a big, massive kid, man, he? you know. Yeah. And uh, but uh, IQ is just as massive as yeah. his body. So just a smart, incredible player. Mm. Andrew Gaze was just, you know, wasn't mm. the fastest, wasn't the the quickest, but definitely the most skilled guy that I've seen. I mean, Shane Hill was great. Mm. Uh, he had an amazing weapon that mm. jump shot. I mean, I saw it had to go against him many times. Uh, you know, Vlahov's uh, just strength pound for pound, strongest guy I've ever played with or against, uh, and very intelligent too. Those guys um, had an amazing nucleus uh, mm. of, 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 of boys that have, had grown up to men, but they started as young boys, Vlahov, Bradkey, 
Gaze, uh, uh, Luke, Luke Longley, and uh, Shane Hill, and those guys had had been a nucleus in the Australian team mm. from from the age of sixteen. So mm. uh, now they, you know, fast forward to their mid thirties. Most of these guys were, and you know, I I was we were that close to winning a medal. Mm-hmm. You know, we came fourth and. 96, we came forward. I think even the last Olympics, we came forth. So just not being able to get that medal, you know, was probably the low light of my career. But being able to participate in the Olympics was the highlight of my career. Yep. So, uh, you know, just it was just an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, so, some absolute superstars uh, and remembered so fondly, too, from your, from your Wildcats days. You know, you mentioned James Crawford mm. uh, before. Again, what an absolute legend. Yeah. Um, can I ask you about Scott Fisher, though? Yeah, came sure. Up? Because you guys had such a great rivalry with the, the North Melbourne Giants, as they existed and were, were named back in the, in the day. I couldn't. I I I hated North Melbourne. Oh, well, and I hated Scott Fisher, and, and I uh, found it really hard to get behind him when he became a wild. I, I don't know. He's probably a ripper bloke. <laughs> I feel bad. For can I tell it, you? But... Can I tell you? I hated him too. <laughs> can I tell you? I hated North Melbourne That's too. Fine. And at the time, <laughs> I compared it to Larry Bird, like Larry Bird coming. Yeah. From the Celtics to come play with yeah. with Magic Johnson at the Lakers, and, yeah. uh, but uh, I tell you what, after the first thirty minutes of him being in Perth, I loved him. Yeah, because uh, he's, he's the guy you want on your team, right? And if uh, he's not on your team, yeah, exactly. And but he actually took us to another level. Mm. Uh, his professionalism, his work ethic. Um, like I said, 30 minutes into the first training session, I knew that this was someone special. Mm. I had never seen anybody work as hard as he did every single day, every single minute. And every second of his life was toward, was put towards being the best basketballer he could mm. be from, from the exercises he did, from the food he ate, from the rest he did. I mean, he knew his yep. body. His yep. body was his temple. Yep. And uh, he taught us a lot because we weren't going to let him come in here and outwork us. Mm. And he was the hardest working man in Australian basketball. Is that right? Oh, yes, by far. Still, mm. bar none. I mm. still haven't seen anyone with the work ethic and the focus and discipline that that man had. Mm. So he took us to another level mm. uh, when he arrived here in uh, 1993 and uh, did some great and was just as good for us as he was for North Melbourne. Mm. Um, we had Damien Martin in here uh, not too long ago. He, he, he talked us through uh, the injuries he's currently nursing, and it was extraordinary. We could have spent the whole hour just going through his medical reports. He is amazing. He is. Um, how are you going physically after, you know, well, obviously all of the time in the U.S. and then 16 years uh, here in Perth? Uh, well, What's your injury tally like? Uh, I just have a bad knee, yeah, uh, which is the reason that I retired. I mean... You know, I had ankle surgeries all the You know the what way might through. be good for that? Swimming. <laughs> well, I will continue to have a bad knee. Um, and it's not a matter of if I need a knee reconstruction. It's when. Yeah. Uh, and that's the reason I retired, because I just uh, um, had one too many uh, knee injuries to the right knee, which is the mm. one I jumped off of, being yep. left-handed. Uh, but no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm not a pretty sight when I first get out of bed, those first three or four or five steps aren't good. And now it's affecting the hip as well. Cause right. it's all connected. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, for, for 53 year old, you know, you're doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Doing okay. I mean, he was just walking wounded. He, you know, broken bones, you know, the same bones broken 
yeah. many times over. So uh, you're he's doing an amazing right, competitor, though. He sticks doing his right. head in places I would not go. <laughs> you know, um, he's an amazing competitor and uh, yeah. great for the cats, as we all know. Now, you've done some amazing things uh, in your time since uh, finishing up with basketball. We're going to get into that uh, after the break uh, because uh, you've also been recognised for that uh, incredible work uh, with a, a nomination for uh, Western Australian uh, of the Year. So we'll talk more about that in a moment. Ricky Grace is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Uh, and in this episode, we're speaking to a basketball champion, Ricky Grace, but also uh, a champion of uh, some other incredibly worthy causes as well. Uh, Ricky, tell us about uh, what drew you towards helping Indigenous communities. I mean, that's put simply what you've been doing, isn't it? Well, yeah. I've Even when I was playing for the Wildcats during the off-season, I used to volunteer a couple of weeks of my time and do some volunteer work uh, out in the remote communities. Mm. Um, what, why was that? What, what was it that drew you to? Well, a chaplain to going for down. the Melbourne Magic. Um, his name was John Van Groningen. Mm-hmm. God bless him. Um, um, his his um, he just approached me out of the blue and said, "Ricky, um, uh, you seem like you would be really good at something that I do, which is go out to these remote communities. I work with the Aboriginal kids. I talk to them about healthy living, healthy lifestyle choices, and that sort of thing." And I said, "Look, you know, I haven't really committed to any any causes in Australia at that time, so it was one that I." Uh, decided to help him out with. It was called the ARM Tour, Athletes as Role Models. So we used to go out to Northern Territory, uh, um, um, Hermansburg, Northern, uh, where this uh, uh, Albert Namajira, famous uh, Aboriginal artist out in his country. And I used to do a lot of work there. Mm. So I did that for quite a few years at the end of every season. Right. And that sort of sparked my interest in the Aboriginal culture and in the Aboriginal issues. So for me, um, I started doing a little research here in Western Australia, and I found out that there were just as many or more Aboriginal communities here in Western Australia than there was even in the Northern Territory where I was volunteering my time. So, um, again, that Texas and that Western Western Australian mentality, we can do it our own. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this on my own here. So Mm. we started uh, some programs here for remote communities. I say remote communities here in Western Australia, like Jigalong, which is out in the Pilbara, Yandiara, Marble Bar, Cotton Creek, Nullagain, all of these places, uh, Mount Magnet, Mikatera, Walona, Sandstone, Q, uh, all these places I started going to just to promote uh, what I thought was important. And what I think is important is not being a, a great sportsman, but getting a great education. Mm. And that's what my mom always, she was never interested in me as an athlete. She was always interested in my grades. I have a master's degree in educational leadership that I um, was able to do while I was playing for the Wildcats here Mm. at Notre Dame University in Fremantle because I wanted to be able to practice what I preach and and, and speak about. So then I was approached by some Aboriginal elders here in Perth um, about the lack of programs for Aboriginal girls. I have three daughters, and as I said, I'm very close to my mom because uh, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, the only time I saw my mom growing up is when she was asleep because she worked two jobs. 
and, uh, you know, she just did what she could to keep her three boys um, fed and clothed and with a roof over their head. So um, uh, for me, uh, I, and as I was traveling around the Aboriginal communities, there are so many amazing women that are the backbones of the, the, their families, the backbones of their communities, and it reminded me a little bit of how the African-American uh, communities work where you have too many single moms, you have too many grandmothers raising their grandchildren and that sort of thing. So for me, I just wanted to do something that I could do to help. Mm. And what came to mind to me was a mentor that helped me when I was sort of lost, when I was a teenager, when I was in my you know, late 10, 11, 12, 12 years old. There was one mentor that was amazingly influential in my life. And I thought if I could be start something that had mentoring programs that promoted education, uh, well, then that's something that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. So when I was approached by some Aboriginal elders here in Perth about the lack of programs for Aboriginal girls, uh, they said they approached me because the girls' favorite sport was basketball. And I said, that's fine, but the program has to be about more than sport. The program has to be education-focused. Mm. So the program that... I'm very proud of today is a program that's simply called Girls Academy. It has 2,700 Aboriginal girls in the program across Australia. The focus is, we call it the big four, school attendance, school engagement, year 12 completion, and post-school options. So I'm very proud of the fact that we have 140 staff now across that's amazing. Uh, Queensland, no, uh, New South Wales, Northern Territory, and here in WA, we're in 46 schools, uh, as I said, 2,700 Aboriginal girls in the program. We're well above uh, uh, national average in school attendance. We're well below national average in school uh, suspensions. We're well above national average in year 12 graduations. 86, 86% of our girls that finished year 12 last year are either in TAFE, uni, or employment. How do you, how do you achieve that? Uh, you can't sit there and make a kid turn up to school every day. Do you, you put mentors in their lives essentially, do you? Yes, it's a yeah. full-time mentoring program. So it's school-based. Every of every site, we're in 46 sites, every mm. one of those sites has a has an old classroom that, that's actually given to us. So right. it's usually like an old science room, and we yeah. have full-time mentors there. We have 140 staffs, over 70% Aboriginal women. It, can I, are those mentors generally kind of, respected figures in those communities absolutely yeah. absolutely okay. uh full-time mentors 70 percent aboriginal women that are from those communities so these the way we choose our mentors is we work closely with the communities in which we work in we don't go into any community before meeting the local aboriginal groups and uh introducing ourselves as an organization and introducing ourselves on our approach to how we would work if we mm. were allowed to come into their community. And, 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 and every school site that we're in actually has an advisory committee. That advisory committee comprises of local elders, respected women from, from, from those areas, uh, respected Aboriginal staff that are already working at the school, and they assist us to identify the most appropriate mentor for that community. And that advisory committee actually leads how that program works. So it's not a McDonald's and it looks the same everywhere mm. we go. Yes, we have our big four everywhere we go. Mm. We want to be on top of school attendance, engagement, year 12 graduation, post-school options. But how that looks is 
is in context to that community. Sure. And uh, it's community-led by those advisory committee members. So um, it's a program and a process that's been proven to work. We've been at this for 15 years now. And, uh, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be, uh, I guess, the founder and mm. CEO of a program that, you know, and I'm humbled and honored that I've been accepted Mm. by the Aboriginal community, uh, and I'm very appreciative of that. And uh, and I just enjoy, and I get, you know, chicken skin, goosebumps, whatever mm. you want to call it, every time I go and I see the amazing work mm. that these strong black women are doing for their community and for these girls. And uh, it just motivated me to uh, just, just, just do what I can to make sure that these girls are educated. Yeah. Uh, because the stats, you know, we we have all sorts of stats on the cost-benefit analysis of every time a girl uh, finishes year 12, well, then um, that's $344,000 a year that they will be contributing to society that they would not have. Mm. And, and if you multiply 344,000 you know, 4, times 2,700 girls, it's an amazing impact mm. that, this, that this program is having. Does it frustrate you when you hear the, the political conversations going on and uh, all these grand plans that seem to uh, not deliver on what they've uh, they've been set up for, and you know, arguing about uh, things that I suppose are a little bit, almost a little bit abstract to a lot of a lot of people. You've been out there and, and been to these communities and see the sorts of challenges uh, mm. that they face. You're affecting real change there. Meanwhile, you've got you know politicians, often thousands of kilometres away, uh, bickering amongst themselves uh, about funding and programs and failures and, and all the rest of it. Do you, do you get frustrated with that all going on in the background? The only frustration that I have is that um, I would like to see uh, the girls equally funded. Mm. Uh, and, you know, for every yes that I get, I get 20 no's. Mm. You know, so uh, for me, it's a little bit frustrating that way. But we work well with the politicians. Uh, uh, do, you, do you get support from them? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, you know, we are we are recognized and acknowledged. Uh, we are a apolitical organization. Uh, uh, we've been around for 15 years. We've worked very well with with both sides of government because you know this is a this this is not a political topic. And for me, I choose not to get paralysis by analysis and try and figure out every situation. I'm not I'm that remember smart. That phrase. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm not that smart. So what I do is I just stick with what I know. Yeah. And I know that if you have a, a really good education, I know that if you do go to school, I know that if you do get support, yeah. because I've come from communities, from a community where if it wasn't for that mentor, who in the hell knows what mm. I would be doing right mm. now. Uh, so for me, I know if we provide that support, if we invest in these girls, if we invest in these communities, if we invest in our staff, to build the capacity for them to be able to be great role models mm. for these girls. There, there, are, there are so many of them that are just like me that at that age that didn't know what to do but know what they did not want to do. Mm. And, then it's for, and then it's up to us to assist them to identify uh, all the great things that are out there for them in life. Yeah. Well, congratulations on what you've achieved. It's uh, ex- extraordinary. Um, and no surprise that you've been uh, recognised uh, in the – Western Australian of the Year uh, finalists for 2019. Uh, I want to hear more about uh, the mentor that you had uh, that perhaps set you on a better path uh, as a a 12-year-old Ricky Ray, (laughs) as you were uh, back then. But we need to take a break. We'll get to that right after this. 
You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to WA's uh, Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest uh, in this episode is Ricky Grace. Uh, Ricky, you mentioned just before you're talking about the importance of having uh, mentors and role models uh, for girls in Indigenous communities. You, you, you mentioned for a moment there that you had a really important figure in your life when you were uh, perhaps on the cusp of, of going down a, a bad path, possibly. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you're growing up... Yep. Uh, uh, with a single mum working two jobs uh, in a single parent household mm. uh, in in Dallas, um, tell us about that fork in the road or that turning point in your life, or whatever phrase you want to attribute to it. But uh, where were you at, and and who was this person? What did they do for you? Well, they built this recreation center uh, two streets down from my house when I was ten years old, and the head the the recreation manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 manager of the rec center, uh, his name was Mr. O'Neill, and uh, he sort of took to me, and I took to him. Um, like I said, my mom, you know, was divorced, and uh, I guess he became sort of that male figure in my life. That um, I used to just hang out in his office, um, and he just sort of, you know, give me life stories, um, you know, just advice on certain things, um, um, and it really had an impact on me. Um, you know, when when some kids chose to, I guess, you know, sneak and smoke cigarettes or when some kids chose to go and, uh, you know, experiment with drinking, well, then um, my outlet was that rec center. Mm. And um, and uh, even in that rec center, there were a lot of, you know, grown men that came there to play basketball, too. And you'd hear some of those grown men, you know, 30 years old, talking about how good they were in high school and 40 years old, talking about how great they were when they were playing football and this. And mm. and I'd go, but, gee, look at you now, you know. You know. So um, at that age, I really didn't know, again, what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to look like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, with my mom just instilling in me a good education, with Mr. O'Neill instilling in me just keep your nose clean, you know, uh, those those two combinations really, really helped me, uh, um, I guess, uh, make the right turn yep. in those forks in the road most times. Yeah. What was what was life like uh, for you in, in Dallas? Uh, siblings, uh, you know, the neighborhood you were in? Yeah, um, paint a picture for us. Oh man, I mean, back in those days, you see some great fights. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was some really, really good fights because nobody really shot or stabbed back then. You know, I mean, you just have a good fight, and then you know, once somebody get their butts whooped, well, then you, well, then that was it. You know, so walk away with your tail between your legs, with and, your tail between your legs, yep. and your arm around the guy's shoulder that just yep. knocked you out half yeah. the time. You know, <laughs> so. I saw a lot of really amazing fights, man, and you know had a couple myself and uh, won some and probably lost more now, <laughs> you know. But um, but I, I just remember being very sporty, yeah, uh, loving sport. I you know I played basketball, I played uh, gridiron football, and I also played baseball. I chose basketball because it's an indoor sport. Mm. Did uh, anyone ever tell you you were too short? No, no. No, 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 no. I was always first first person picked on the team. The way mm. I started, you know, you talk about siblings. I'm the middle. Mm. So I have five, uh, uh, two brothers, one five years older, one five years younger. 
the younger one is uh, she was the closest to my mom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we say, well, that's, you know, mommy's boy. And then my older brother and I were sort of the closest. That was the dynamic in our family. So yeah. I'd go everywhere with him and play. So I grew up playing with someone five years older than me. But all they would let me do was pass the ball. Yeah. So I became an amazing passer yeah. of the ball. The assist I, king. I became an assist king because if you screw up that pass, you don't get to play with the big boys. Mm. So that's really what started me playing basketball was with my older brother mm. and just making sure that I was a great passer and didn't stuff up passing the ball. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to hang around him and um, I guess uh, become, you know, ahead of my class because I was playing with someone five classes above. Yeah. But um, um, we had some uh, great people that came from my community. Uh, we had a guy that was on the most 10 wanted list uh, in the state of Texas. Um, we had um, uh, one of my classmates was uh, the Band-Aid Bandit. And I saw him on telly because he was robbing banks and uh, the Band-Aid Bandit. The, the Band-Aid Bandit. He had a Band-Aid on his on his cheek. Right. Uh, he used to have a Band-Aid on his cheek, and uh, they termed him the Band-Aid Bandit. Right. And we were looking at it one day on telly, and we were like, "That's so and so. I know that guy. I know that guy. That's the, <laughs> he's the Band-Aid Bandit." So you know, we were really proud of our <laughs> of our accomplishments. But on top of that, we still had someone from our high school that's now the state senator of Texas. Yep. You know, so it's sort of the one extreme bag. to yep. the other, uh, and I guess I fell somewhere in the middle. We, and and how do you feel when you go back to to Dallas? Because it sounds like you go back there a bit to visit your mum, especially. But how do yeah. you, how do you feel when you're back there? Well, my mom has already told people that I am the West Strain of the year. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so she's proud. But um, um, my friends uh, explain me as the Michael Jordan of Australia. That's fair. <laughs> take that. So I go, okay, that's not quite true, boys. Uh, but um, I'll take it. And, you know, they're very proud to uh, see someone. But, you know, like I said, we had, you know, I don't know if you remember a guy named Spud Webb. Oh, yeah. Okay. What was he? Five Five, five foot seven, seven good, and, and good won dunk. the slam dunk. Well, yep. amazing. Well, that's right. Well, Spud came from our neighborhood as well. Right. Okay. Um, so he was four years above, um, ahead of me. So he was sort of the guy yeah. that I sort of looked up to With, and followed, tried to follow his footsteps. So. And, and and dunking? Uh, yeah. Couldn't quite do it like Spud. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I could get up there, but you I only had the, the one yeah. standard run, mm. one legged. One-handed dunk. Spud but, was a freak, wasn't he? Oh, uh, he was. He was absolutely amazing. You know, five yeah. foot Springs seven. And, and, yeah, 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 yeah. He was on pogo sticks. But no, Dallas was. Uh, you know, it's still home uh, for me. You know, I still have some great friends there. Yeah, and and and, and uh, uh, it's still home for me. Does she still call you Ricky Ray and tell you to come home? She still tells me to come home. Um, mm. I actually had in my contract when I signed with the Wildcats that they had to fly my mom over every year. Right. Uh, so that's how close we were. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm still, uh, you know, get breakfast in bed when I go back home to Dallas. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> no wonder you keep going back there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what's What's the future like for you, Ricky? Obviously, you've 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 done an incredible amount, and you continue to do so much, um, particularly for those Indigenous uh, community members around WA. What's What's left for you? Have you Have you got sort of grand goals that you you still want to achieve? Well, um, again, I still would like to see as much support for Aboriginal girls uh, and programs as there is for boys. Um, 
I would love for there not to be a need for a program Absolutely. like this for me to be working in maybe coaching basketball or mm. a field like that. But uh, for the uh, short time being, I don't see that being the case. So there's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of um, uh, girls out there that needs needs programs like this. Mm. We get calls uh, once a week from schools asking us to uh, bring this program to their school. So uh, I'm really, really focused. I have an addictive personality. The same way I was addicted to being the best basketballer I can be, I'm addicted to trying to provide the best programs for these girls that I can be. I'm 50 years old, and the plan is uh, probably to do it until I'm 60 and, yep. and just see how we go. Get that knee replacement. Yeah. And maybe get uh, you and Cal back on the court for another game of one-on-one just to round things out. I think he'll win now. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on all that you've achieved. Thank and you. Uh, Ricky Grace, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Barra and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.